You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org. Turophobia. Now, now here's the thing. There has to be enough people that are afraid of these things, a significant number to the fact to the point that they actually name it. Turophobia, fear of cheese. I'm sorry if any of you are fear, afraid of cheese in here this morning, but it's irrational. Somnophobia, fear of falling asleep. This one's interesting because associated with fear of falling asleep, some of you need to be afraid of that this morning. <laughs> be afraid of falling asleep. I just want, if you fall asleep, I'm going to call you out. But associated with the fear of falling asleep is a lot of people are afraid that they're going to not be productive. Well, yeah, you're sleeping. Uh, nomophobia, fear of being without mobile phone coverage. That's scary, right? How many of you have a portable charger with you right now? Uh, hylophobia, fear of trees. That's because of scary movies. Fear of being in the woods because you don't know it's in the trees. Corlophobia, fear of clowns. Actually, the next seven slides after this are all pictures of clowns, so I'm just kidding. Arachnophobia, fear of spiders. I, am, I suffer from arachnophobia, and it is very irrational. I used to have my little sister kill spider. I threw my little sister at a spider once. Not like this, but I was like, go kill it, Summer. She was like, okay. Fear of spiders. Glossophobia, fear of public speaking. Anybody afraid of public speaking? No? Okay. Anybody want to come up and finish my message? What's fear of raising your hand? Phobias are irrational. It's not rational to be afraid of spiders. It's not rational to be afraid of cheese. It's not rational to be afraid of a clown in the woods wearing a yellow thing, carrying cheese and a spider. Like, that's not rational. But phobias are extremely treatable. It is very easy to treat a phobia. And I know that because I'm married to a psychologist. It's very easy to treat phobias. I don't know why I'm still afraid of spiders. But fear... Fear in itself is a natural human emotion. It's okay to experience fear sometimes. And, and, and fear is something that happens in us when we perceive a threat and it triggers your fight or flight response. And so experiencing fear in certain situations is normal. Experiencing fear when you're on the freeway and somebody tries to merge and you swerve and hit your brakes, like it's good that you experienced fear in that moment because it saved you from crashing. But when we live our lives in fear, that is where we go into territory where it's unhealthy. When we live our lives afraid of certain things, afraid of stepping out, afraid of doing things for Jesus, that's where it becomes very, very unhealthy and very uh, detrimental to not just your faith, but to your life in general. And you live your life in fear. But for a lot of people, fear is, in some shape or form, is a part of their everyday life. Every day a person, some, some people react and plan their days and, and plan their whole, their whole life around different fears. And a lot of those fears, I think, can fall into uh, one of four categories. Fear of loss. Could be fear of losing a loved one. Could be fear of losing a marriage. Fear of losing your kids. Uh, fear of losing your job. And a lot of times when it comes to fear of losing your job, that brings on a whole gamut of other fears, fear of financial security. So we take a second job or a third job or 
we bust our tails to, to try to move up the corporate ladder. And that in itself is not bad. And having money is not bad. Being wealthy is not bad. But when we are doing it at the expense of something else that God might want, you're letting that fear run your life. So fear of loss, fear of failure. What happens if I mess up? And fear of failure can stop you from really experiencing some amazing opportunities that God might have for you. And let's just clear the air. You're going to fail. It's going to happen. You're going to try things. You're not going to succeed. But that's okay. Failure is an event that happens in your life. Failure is not something that defines who you are. Failure is not a marker that defines your life. I am not a failure, although I might fail sometimes. So we can't live our lives afraid of failing because it's going to stop us from making the most significant contribution that God might have for you. Fear of rejection. And this one is big because a lot of times the rejections that happen come from the most personal relationships we have. And when you get rejected in that way, when you, somebody just totally writes you off and rejects you, it creates a pattern where you become afraid to trust. You become afraid to let yourself be known because you're so afraid of that rejection happening again. And it can stop you from really experiencing some loving and life-giving and amazing relationships that God might have in store for you. So when I uh, first met Christina, I was preaching for a friend of mine in his youth ministry. And I saw her and I was like, hey, that girl's, that girl's kind of cute. And then they told me like, oh yeah, she's, she's going to be a doctor. And I was like, oh, I don't got a shot with her. And so we had seen each other and, and I didn't want to say anything because I was just, she was intimidating to me a little bit and I was still kind of immature. And then, and then one day I saw her worshiping and I was like, dang, that, that girl is fine. <laughs> Tell you, you are never more attractive than when you are worshiping Jesus. That is your most attractive moment when you are giving your, even if they're snot and tears, they're like, Damn, Holy Spirit is on that person. Okay, so, so I go through all these channels and I'm like, all right, I, I want to ask this girl on a date, but I'm so afraid she's going to say no. So I prayed about it and God was like, yes, do that. And I was like, all right, thank you, Jesus. But let me have my Gideon moment. Here's my fleece. And I did that like five times. Then I called uh, the, the pastor she was serving under, who was my friend. I was like, hey, you cool with this? He was like, yeah, man. Then I called her senior pastor and I was like, hey, Pastor Doug, are you okay with me asking her out on a date? And he was like, yeah. And I told both of them, will you guys pray with me about this? And they're like, you're taking this way too seriously. So after like a month of getting all my ducks in a row, I was like, okay, I feel the anointing. I'm going to ask her out on a date. So I asked her out and she says, no. And I was like, for real, God? And then I reached a point where I was like, I don't, I don't care. I want to get to know this girl. So I told her one time at a camp, it was really awkward because I was like following her around waiting until she was alone. <laughs> don't do that. Super weird. <laughs> and, and I was like, look, I know you said no already, but I'm going to continue to ask you until you say yes. So might as well just, and hey, then they lived happily ever after. So anyway, fear of rejection can be real. And then fear of the unknown. Fear of the unknown? I promise you, there's a slide. There you go. Fear of the unknown. And fear of the unknown kind of ties all these other things together because we're afraid of the what if scenario. Well, what if these things happen? What if I'm going to lose this? What if I fail? What if they reject me? And we're so afraid of what might happen 
that we become paralyzed and don't make any significant contribution and don't step out in faith in any areas because we're so afraid of what might happen. Irrational. Look at the person next to you and just tell them, irrational. We often think of fear as the absence of faith. And so the normal church answer is somebody's like, Pastor, I'm afraid of this. And I'm like, well, you just need more faith, brother. But what happens when I'm full of faith and I'm still afraid? What happens when I've done everything I can to ensure that I'm not rejected and I still get rejected? What happens when I have so much faith in my life but I'm still afraid of failing? Because I believe that the, both of those things can exist. I think you can be full of faith and I think you can still experience fear in those moments of faith. But what happens is it's not, I don't think it's so much a lack of faith as a misplaced faith. And so we are misplacing our faith. And here's our key thought for this morning. I don't think this is working anymore, guys, so you're just going to have to follow me. Fear is placing your faith in the what ifs rather than God is. Fear is placing your faith in the what ifs rather than God is. Fear stops us because we don't know what's going to happen. And we become afraid and we start taking ourselves down this mental road full of possibilities and what-if scenarios, and we become held hostage by our own imagination. We stop ourselves from doing something significant based on something that hasn't even happened, something that you've made up in your own mind. What if it doesn't happen? What if I fail? What if I mess up? What if they don't listen to me? What if they stop coming to church? What if my kids grow up and they don't know Jesus? So I need to be a helicopter parent and force them to be at every single event and shove Jesus down their throat instead of helping them cultivate their faith. We're so afraid of the what ifs that we become held hostage by our own imagination. And in your moment of fear, you may still have faith in God, but you're placing more faith in the what if than you are in God's promises. So somebody who experienced this would be Moses. Moses experiences fear. And Moses gives in to the what-if scenarios, right? We know the story. Moses is walking through the desert with some sheep. He sees a, a, a bush on fire. And the bush starts talking to him. Moses doesn't have anybody to talk to, so maybe he was like, hey, I want to talk to this bush. So he goes over, and, it, you know, we know it's God. And God says, I'm sending you to Pharaoh, and you're going to tell him to let my people go, right? So this is how Moses responds in Exodus 3.13. You guys got it? Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? So this is awesome, right? God gives him this really lengthy answer. He reveals his name. Tell them that I am sent you. God reveals his name to Moses, and it's this, this awesome moment of just him empowering Moses, right? And so Moses goes, all right, God, high five. Let's do this. No, Moses responds in Exodus 4.1. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't believe me or listen to me and say, the Lord did not appear to you? God should have just alleviated all his fears, but Moses brings up the what if. What if they don't believe me? What if they don't listen to me? What if they say the Lord didn't really send me? What am I supposed to do then? So God says, hey, what's in your hand? A stick. Throws it on the ground, becomes a snake. That's really cool, right? Pick it back up. It's a stick again. All right, God, that's cool. All right, Moses, take your hand, put it in your cloak. Pull it out again. Ah, leprosy. Put it back. It's clean again. Pretty neat, right? He goes, 
If they don't listen to you, do those things, and then they'll believe you. Again, should be more than enough for Moses to listen and go. But no, Moses in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 13 of Exodus responds with, Oh, Lord, please send someone else to do it. What is wrong with Moses? God just appeared to him, spoke to him, told him his name, performed miracles, and commissioned Moses to go. But Moses still says, I don't want to. Send somebody else because he's so afraid. Maybe it's because he's afraid that Egypt was the place where he failed significantly. He doesn't want to go back. But whatever it is, he puts more faith we, we see that Moses at least has the faith to go and speak with God and listen to him at some point. There is some amount of faith there, but in this moment, in this conversation, he's putting way more faith in the scenarios that haven't even happened yet, and we don't even know if they're going to happen. Way more faith than, than in God. And he does the same thing that a lot of us do when we're faced with doing something for God. And we say, no, send somebody else to do it, God. Let somebody else serve in the kids' ministry. Let somebody else serve in the worship ministry. Let somebody else be a greeter. Let somebody else go and witness to my neighbors. Let somebody else, I'm just going to pray. You send somebody else to do it. But what if God is calling you? Look at the person next to you. What if God is calling you? Tell them that. What if God's calling you? If God's calling you, you need to go and not worry about the what ifs. They might still linger there, and that's okay. But trust in Him. And here's the thing, your life has value. Your life has meaning. Your life has significance. Understand and believe that. And nobody, you, you are gifted, you are talented, you are called, and God is sending you. And nobody knows you better than God. Nobody knows where to place you better than God. Nobody knows how to get you in a position to leverage your influence, to leverage your gifts, to leverage your talents better than he does. So we just need to trust and believe that God has orchestrated everything in this universe. So I'm pretty sure he knows what he's doing. I'm pretty sure he's not going to put us in a situation where it's going to ruin our life. So we should be released to trust him a little bit more, to believe in him a little bit more, to have a little bit more faith than we do. And believe that he's under, that he has these things under control rather than responding to God with a laundry list of what ifs. It's irrational. Say it with me. It's irrational. When you allow yourself to focus on the what if, you are telling, you are essentially, you are telling God he's not able to handle the situation. You're telling him that uh, the word and will of God is not going to shape your life as much as your fear. And yeah, scripture is good as long as it puts, as long as I can to put it in my safe little corner comfort spot and, and not have to step out of that. But I believe that the Lord is challenging us to do something significant. And whatever you've written down, what you're afraid of, let God free you from that this morning. But before we completely toss these, these what if questions out the window. These what if questions can be helpful to us. They can, they can bring some meaning to our life. They can bring some meaning to these things, right? So uh, when we look at the what if question, it really shows us that what we, f it shows us that what we fear shows us what we value. 
What you fear shows, you, shows us what you value. It reveals what you value. That might be on a slide. What you fear reveals what you, fa- what you value. If you fear losing your marriage, it shows that you value your marriage. If you fear losing your kids, it shows that you value your kids. If you fear losing your job, it shows that financial security is a value to you. Those are all good things to value. Obviously, it's okay to value your marriage. It's okay to value your kids. It's okay to value the financial security that you have. But when your pursuit of your marriage is based on fear, when your pursuit of keeping your kids close to you and close to Jesus is based off fear, when your pursuit of wealth is based on fear, what you're saying is God doesn't know how to handle those situations. What you're saying is, God, you need me to intervene more than I need you to intervene. God, you've got your hands full with other things, so I need to do this because I don't really fully trust that you're able to control all these things in my life and make it all work together for good because I love you. What you fear reveals what you value, and what you fear reveals where you trust God the least. Look at financial security. Um, In Matthew 6, Jesus says this, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or stow away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? If you live your life worried and fearful, what you're saying is God is incapable of intervening into your situation. You're saying, God, I know I shouldn't worry, but you don't know the bills I have. You don't know the things that I have to do. You don't know the the financial struggle that I'm dealing with. And God's saying, I've got it under control if you can just trust me. So what you fear reveals what you value and what you fear reveals where you trust God the least. God knows this about us. Living, uh, fear is nothing new, right? Fear is not a new thing. But if we live our life in fear, we will never be able to walk in the plan and purpose that God has for our life. Never. Because you're gonna be stuck, paralyzed by fear unwilling to stray from the path that you have marked out for yourself. Fear stops us from letting the Lord determine our steps. You plan your course and then go, regardless of the roadblocks God puts in your way, regardless of the the times where the Lord comes and tries to speak to your heart and say, this is not right, focus more on me and I can take care of this for you. We say, no, God, you can't. Sometimes unconsciously by the way that we just ignore his promptings. So we can have faith, but we can still live in fear. But we need to place our faith more in God than we do in the scenarios that we've created in our minds. You know, in, in 13 years as a, as a youth pastor, I've, a lot of parents send their kids to youth ministry out of fear. They're afraid that something wrong is going to happen to their kids, so they send them and they're like, Pastor Mike, I need you to fix my kid. 
Youth ministry is not a dry cleaning service, okay? You can't drop your kid off, pick them up in 90 minutes, and they're clean and pressed. It doesn't work that way. So when it comes to parenting, granted, I'm not a a parent, but I've seen this play out enough to be able to understand that spiritual formation has to start in the home, not out of guilt, not out of neglect, not out of anything other than, hey, Timmy, we love Jesus, this is why. Let's read the Bible together. Let's do a devotion as a family. Let's learn about Jesus. Don't send your kids to church out of fear that they're gonna walk away because a lot of times those things become self-revelation that just happen because we've willed it to happen based on our actions. We can't live in fear. You guys still with me? Is anybody sleeping? Proud of you. Somnophobia. Fear of falling asleep. (laughs) Um, Fear was experienced so many times in the Bible that the most used commandment in Scripture is do not be afraid. The command, it's a commandment, people. It's not a, hey guys, it's probably not a good idea. God says, do not be afraid. It's a commandment. More used than any other commandment in Scripture. Do not be afraid. So let's go back to our key thought this morning. Fear is placing your faith in what ifs rather than God is. Fear is placing your faith in what ifs rather than God is. So uh, what do we do and how do we stop living in fear? If there's somebody at the computer, we're about to go through some points here. What do we do to stop living in fear? Number one, face your fears. What are you afraid of? Remember, I asked you to write it down. What are you afraid of? Stop pretending that it doesn't exist. Because you're always going to be faced with this elephant in the room and we try to turn a blind eye to it, but it's always there controlling every aspect of our lives. What are you afraid of? You can even share it with the person next to you. Sometimes speaking it out is an okay thing to do, right? I'm afraid of failing. Sometimes my fear of failure stops me from even preaching things that the Lord has put on my heart because what if the congregation doesn't like it? I'm still afraid of rejection at times. And some of my closest relationships, I allow myself to give way more than I need to and do way more than I should because I'm afraid if I don't keep up with it, they're going to reject me. That's irrational. What are you afraid of? What is that thing that keeps you from really pursuing God wholeheartedly and pursuing his plans and his purposes for your life wholeheartedly? You've got to face those fears and identify them. The second thing we need to do is give those fears to God. So if you uh, experience one of those phobias and you go to a psychologist, they might, they might recommend exposure therapy, exposing you to the thing that you're afraid of. So remember my irrational fear of spiders. I threw children at spiders to kill them. Um, so a therapist might say, okay, well, let's talk about that. Draw me a picture of a spider. Or let's just say the word spider. Maybe it scares you. All right, next session, we're going to look at pictures of spiders. Next session, we're going to watch a video of a spider. 
Session after that, we're going to sit over here and there's going to be a tarantula in a box closed in the back of the room. It's just going to be there. Next time, we're going to put the tarantula on the table in between us. Oh, okay, now we're going to just open the box and we're going to talk and the tarantula is going to be here, right? And like three months later, I just want you to take one finger and touch it. And then maybe we work up to the fact where I'm holding a tarantula. Nope. That's the thing. It's so irrational. I'm, my wife has recommended this to me. I'm, I'm like, no, I'm, not gonna, I'm unwilling. <laughs> but it's wrong. So maybe one day she just needs to like, throw a bunch of spiders on me when I'm sleeping. <laughs> I would be so mad. Oh, my gosh. I actually, part of this comes from the fact I had a tarantula. I was woken up by a tarantula crawling on my face one night. Yeah, right? Terrifying. You give those fears to God. And what exposure therapy does in a gradual sense is show you that the thing that you're afraid of is really not that bad. And you need to stop allowing it to have power over your life. When I first came to Jesus, um, I feel like the Lord brought me through a sense of exposure therapy in a spiritual aspect because I was so afraid of giving tithe because I grew up in a family that was very poor. And so money for me was everything, and I needed it. I needed to get that money and keep it because I never wanted to be poor again. So I go to church, and I'm like, yeah, I'll give Jesus my life, but I won't give him my money. It doesn't make any sense, right? So, so I was like, Lord, this is, this is not okay. Like, I, I need some help. And so the Lord would start prompting me when the plate would pass me by in church, and I would be like, okay, God, how much money do you want me to give in the plate today? And it started out with like $3. Like I, I felt the Lord say $3. Right? I made more than $30 in that paycheck. It totally wasn't 10%. But God wasn't about the, the, the letter of the law, but he was behind the heart, he was the heart of the law, right? So I put $3 in the offering plate. And I realized that even though I gave away that $3, I, I was still able to get that cup of coffee the next day. So next time it was more and it was more and it was to the point where finally I crossed the threshold and I was able to give 10%. And it was still hard. But what I realized is there wasn't a deficit in my bank account that God was still taking care of everything that I needed. Even though money was leaving my hand, God was still meeting my needs. And so the Lord started to challenge me to give more and to give more. And now it's to the point where for Christina and I, we, we, we're both okay. She had a way different upbringing than I did. We're, it's easy for us to live open-handed towards, for the Lord because we've seen him provide again and again and again and again. And so when you take those fears and you really give them to God and allow him to give you courage and strength to get through those things, what you begin to see is the fear really does not compare to the power and might of our Lord. What you're afraid of can't hold a candle to Jesus. Amen. So you give those things to the Lord and let him prove to you that he can take care of you. Let him prove to you that he's got your life under control. Um, now, it's not just, okay, here's my fear, God. I'm just gonna go over here now. It's not kind of just throw it to him and leave. No, in that process, you need to pursue relationship with him because saying, okay, God, take this fear does not make the fear immediately leave and it doesn't mean that you're never gonna experience it again in your life. 
What it means most of the time is you're going to be tempted and you're going to be tempted to be afraid in those areas again. And in that moment, you need to pursue a relationship with Jesus, deep relationship with Jesus. In the moment of fear, say, Lord, I need you. God, I need you. How many of you in here are going to be at EHS today? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it awesome? Anybody crying? I cry a lot. I'm so, it's just my past and we're going through the wall today, guys. We're going to do it. But EHS is teaching us how to pursue relationship with God, how to pursue a real relationship with him, how to have quiet time, how to have that daily office with the Lord. And that's the kind of relationship you need with God when you're in the middle of fear. You've got to name it. You've got to declare it. You have to speak it out. This is what I'm afraid of. Lord, and I need your help. I'm giving this to you, and I need you. I need to pursue you so that you can give me the courage and the strength to make it through. And like Blessing said earlier, God will take that spirit of fear that didn't even come from him and will give you a new spirit of really a sound mind, right? Being in your right mind. Because we're not in our right mind when we're experiencing these irrational fears. So I'm going to invite the, the worship team to come up and we're going to start to close here. You know who experienced fear other than Moses um, is... Jesus. In the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus was in anguish to the point where he was sweating blood. This isn't like a prophetic, his blood is about to be spilled, although you can, you can say it that way, but this is a real thing, that when people experience the level of anguish and pain and fear and anxiety that Jesus was experiencing in that moment, the capillaries burst and blood comes out of your sweat glands. And faced with the cross, Jesus doesn't want to go. And he has that moment of fear and he goes, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. What does Jesus do? He faces that fear. He names it. This is what I'm afraid of, Lord. And then he gives it to the Father. Let your will be done. And he pursues relationship with the Father in that moment, and it gives him the strength and the courage to go forward with God's plan for his life and go to the cross and give his life up willingly for each and every one of us. I don't know about you, but I am so grateful that my Savior experienced that fear. But I'm so grateful that he didn't live in that fear but he gave it to the Father and he overcame that fear. And as we move into a time of communion this morning, that, that fear and that moment in the garden shows us that, yes, Jesus was fully human and he was able to overcome. And he gives us kind of a blueprint by facing it, by giving it to God, and by pursuing God, he shows us how we can overcome fear. And we see that by Jesus overcoming that fear, 
he was able to make his big contribution, which is opening the door for us to all experience God in the same way that Jesus did while he was on earth by giving us a way to come straight to the Lord when we're having those doubts, those struggles, those fears, and say, God, I need you. And maybe you have a Jesus moment. Lord, I don't want to do this. But if it's your will, give me the courage. If it's your will, give me the strength. If it's your will, show me. Let me have a Moses moment where you prove to me. Whatever it is, let me have a Gideon moment where you, you make the fleece wet and the, dry, the ground dry. Whatever it is. Lord, I need you in this moment because I don't want to live as a slave to that fear because we are, I mean, Jesus dying on the cross uh, brings us to God adopting us as his sons and daughters. Guys, this is amazing. I think sometimes we lose the just beauty of what Jesus has done for us. Jesus overcame his fear and went to the cross to allow us to have the same relationship with the Father that he did. You know what else this shows me? If I can come to the place where I can overcome my fear, I might be opening the door for somebody else to experience God in a way they never have. What if the Lord is asking you to do something today? What if the Lord has put somebody on your heart? What if the Lord has asked you to start a new ministry that new life has never seen? What if the Lord has asked you to start serving in a way that you never have? Whose lives, not, not just your own, because your own life will be impacted in such an amazing way as God begins to cultivate this new relationship with you. But who else will be, will be uh, set free? Who else will see the light of Jesus because of you not living in fear? You can't let those fears control your life. Your life has the opportunity and the possibility to open doors to spiritual awakening for other people if we choose not to let the what-if scenarios control our life, but we choose to let our faith in Christ control our life, our hope and trust in God, knowing that he has things under control. So I'm going to invite the deacons to come forward. And uh, as the worship team is going to sing through No Longer Slaves again, uh, I want you to declare this this morning. You are not a slave to fear. You are a child of God. You are a son of the Most High. You are a daughter of the Most High. And he is with you. He has not forsaken you. He has called you. And he is equipping you. You are a child of God. And we remember this morning that it's the broken body and the spilled blood of Jesus that gives us the opportunity to have this relationship with God. Thank you for listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Feel free to make copies of this audio to share with others, but please do not charge for those copies or change the content in any way without permission. For more information, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.